Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato Arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato Arahato samma sambhutasa Aparuta de sangamatasa tawara ye sorabanta bamunchantu satang. So this evening it's the uh, summer solstice, the longest uh, day of the year. So from this time on, the days get shorter, and the nights get longer. So I like to reflect on this, uh, this uh, winter, summer solstices and the equinoxes, because the seasons here are, are say, quite extreme in comparison to uh, Thailand, where it doesn't change that much. But each season has its own gifts and advantages and so forth. So, you know, long summer days, short nights, and then as it gets into the winter solstice, short days and long nights. And so this is a time realm. Uh, The realm we're experiencing right now is all about time. Seasons, change, sensation, feeling, uh, and this is this is the way it is. So the, this ability that we have to contemplate, this reflective ability that a human being has to contemplate time, is the timeless. So it's this simple simplicity of awakened consciousness, awakened with awareness, mindfulness, and wisdom, discerning the, the changingness of conditioned phenomena, discerning it, and being able to see the uh, the suffering that we experience when we attach to time-bound conditions. This is very important. There's a Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth of suffering or dukkha is all about being attached to to the time-bound conditions because they inevitably fail us. If we're expecting conditioned phenomena to fulfill us and and be what we want, then we we end up always with disappointment and disillusionment. <clears throat> So that's why the Buddha approached this thing very directly by pointing at time. You know, all conditions are impermanent. And this can be just a kind of perfunctory statement, you know, that that one, uh, you know, says is uh, the Buddha's teaching. But the main point is the Bhattibhata to really notice, to observe change is like this. And of course, we we have these physical bodies. Uh, we're sensitive forms. We're in a, a time realm, changing seasons, day and night, summer and winter, spring and autumn, and uh, everything around us through that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel. Everything is in this relentless, inexorable changingness that we can observe. And that very ability to awaken and observe. So this is this is the way out of the dukkha is through awakening. Now that might sound very simple as you know the the, the statement, the theory, the teaching, the the words, but it is uh this is the 
the practice, the Bhattibhata, is a continuous, determined observation of change in which we, you know, be aware of, of the subtleties of conditions as well as their obvious uh, changing conditions. It's very easy to, to observe changingness of the seasons just visually. The body itself is, uh, you know, the experience of change because it, because of its nature, it is born, grows up, gets old, and dies. And then the, the attachment to the body, as if this is, you know, the Western civilizations, is very much identified on the level of material possessions and physical appearance. So we, we, you know, our lives are very much based on, on uh, the sense of ourselves uh, as conditioned personalities, our bodies, what they look like, their age, their gender, the color, the size, and on and on like that. The, the society gives great importance uh, on, on these kind of conditions because the, it, it encourages us to believe that we are this physical form. But, the ver- but then uh, what I'm pointing to is the variability to the very ability that each one of us has to observe the body that we're experiencing now. You know, so this this is what we call the the uh, refuge in Buddha, Bhutang Sarnangachami, or Puto. Put it even more simply, uh, this mantra, uh, Puto, is a very skill. I found this very useful word. Remind as a constant reminder that this is this Puto is the ability that I have to awaken. Be present here and now, observe. Being in this position of the observer rather than the personality that, uh, that I'm conditioned to believe in. Observe the body is like this. When I become the body, then of course it brings up uh, all kinds of views, opinions, memories, uh, emotions about appearance, about age, People are quite vain about their age, you know, so, you know, like it's very improper to, in this society, to ask somebody how old they are. Because uh, we don't, you know, we don't, we we tend to want, not want to be considered old. Or even middle-aged can be a bit uh, too much to take. So I mean it because of the vanity this is this is the the tendency to identify with the age of the, of the physical body or its size the color of its skin the gender whether it's male or female whether it's beautiful or not and on and on like this and we we live in a society that's very much based on fashion appearance and uh in, uh, incessant concern about uh, our looks. Now the puto then is the you know is the ability to observe this. I'm not I'm not condemning vanity or the society. I'm not you know not saying that it should be otherwise. But this is the way it is. Modern society here that we're experiencing here in. England is like this. The kind of news we get, the information that we receive in, through advertisements, through magazines, newspapers, television, and all the rest, all about, you know, being young and beautiful, ha- happy, healthy uh, individuals. And so this is, this is just to say that this is the society, the culture, the civilization, that influences our consciousness. But that which is uh, aware of that, 
it transcends this, these conditions. You know, I can be aware of the sense of myself as a, uh, as a, as a man, as a monk, as a American, as a, uh, an old man, as a senior monk, as a Buddhist, and I don't know like this. So I mean, it, you know, these are perceptions, conditions, being a teacher, being an upachaya, preceptor, being whatever, I can, there's this ability to observe these titles, these positions, these roles uh, that, that uh, I'm involved with on the condition level. So the, the escape or the liberation is through awareness, not through annihilation, not through uh, trying to get the perfect conditions for oneself, but to be the knower. This consciousness is our ability to know. Now contemplate uh, this word consciousness, because this is a conscious realm that we're experiencing. Consciousness, where does it come from? It's like magic, isn't it? Uh, we don't create it. You know, it's not like a cultural creation or I can't claim consciousness as some kind of personal achievement. It's what you get when you're born. And, and we're experiencing consciousness from a form. So this is where it's important to recognize the limitation we're under as a human individual because we, we're experiencing consciousness from this point here. Uh, and so, but consciousness is not the form, but the consciousness operates, uh, the form operates in the consciousness. That's why with awareness, with this encouragement, an invitation the Buddha made to awaken, wake up teaching, is, to, is merely the, the, the uh, encouragement to be mindful and then to change from the cultural identities, personal identities uh, that we have to observing them. They are what they are. Some are good, some are bad, some are coarse, some are refined. They've got all kinds of qualities, quantities. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not a, a kind of negation of conditioned phenomena because consciousness is, a, is a, our ability to observe co uh, conditioned phenomena. If, if my true nature, if consciousness was conditioned phenomena, how could I observe conditioned phenomena? Ask yourself that question. It's a, not to be, you know, this is to, it's like a conundrum or a koan where you, you ask yourself, that which observes the physical body, that which observes the the sense of me, a personality, an ego, a self, which observes, that can know what a memory, memories are changing according to other conditions. Observe the feelings of happiness, unhappiness, uh, feeling of security, insecurity, uh, love and hate, uh, aspiration, desperation, despair, whatever, fear, desire. That which observes then is not desire, not fear, not itself. And that's why in this, this tradition uh, there's these words like Buddha Dhamma Sangha are significant. These are conventions also. They're not to be <coughs> attachment or identities but merely expedient means for reminding ourselves to uh, awaken to to help us to see things in a in a way that is different from our own cultural conditioning. Like notice what your cultural conditioning implies. Me, I'm a citizen. I'm a this. I you know nationality. Uh, I have rights. I'm uh, a good person sometimes, bad person sometimes. Life has treated me very well or not treated me very well. 
uh, and on and on. Like, over, you know, there's, we all have our life histories, our, our successes and failures, a sense of being good or bad, right and wrong, lovable or not lovable, desirable or undesirable, successful or a failure. And that which observes then is not, is not a, a not saying, it's not saying anything about the conditions, it's recognizing. Condition phenomena is like this. So the characteristic common to all condition phenomena is this anicca or impermanence. That's the kind of reflection that's ob, that's quite obvious to see when you first start practicing vipassana or insight meditation is to observe this changingness. So we're encouraged to, to notice like uh, the ayatanas, the, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the changingness of the mind. The six ayatanas. So these, uh, you know, you observe that what we see we're aware of seeing, not attaching to sight anymore, but awareness of the experience of seeing. So when we look at an object, then we we say, like observing this, see, looking at this uh, clock. You know, you reflect that the eye, the physical organ, the eye uh, contacts this object we call a clock, and the consciousness of this particular object arises. So, uh, in consciousness, this arises in consciousness clock. We, we call it a clock in English, and other languages have different words, but, uh, I mean, it doesn't, this doesn't say it's a clock. Now, this seems an obvious fact. We say it is a clock. I say that you're a clock. And it never has said, I'm a clock. And so this is, I mean, this seems like I'm being a bit silly or facetious, but this is quite important about how, you know, we, we see these things, uh, we define them. It's, it's us and our cultural conditioning that give names to things and define them and evaluate them as beautiful, ugly, good or bad, right and wrong. And so this awareness then is, holds all of this in, you know, so we can, what we see, we hear, sound is, is changing. You know, whether it's music, whether it's cacophony, noise, pleasant or unpleasant, you know, one thing you can observe is you're, you, we hear, we have the organ of the ear, physical organ allows us to hear uh, vibrations. And so these, some of them are pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. But that which is observing sound, and observing maybe our own emotional reaction to sound. So we hear beautiful music and the, the, we feel this way. We hear noise, unpleasant, loud, cacophony. We feel like this. So this awareness is, you know, will include everything. It includes the, the pleasant, the painful, the neutral. So this is like in Vipassana meditation, you're kind of investigating, it's, uh, uh, looking, just noticing, waking up to, to the, the experience of I, uh, its object and consciousness that arises through contact with an object or with sound, with smell, taste, touch, with thought. How we have, you know, we have uh, this ability, we have a retentive memory. We, we, we remember things. We can remember all kinds of things from the past. We, we have language. We have memory. And and so when we observe these, they are memory arises and ceases according to conditions. Culturally, one can assume that all my memories are in my brain, 
and that um, that kind of line in there all the time, like a like a computer, and uh, you know, so then you just pull them out according to press the right buttons, or is it the memories arise when the conditions for those memories? So we can have uh, kind of deja vu experiences where you you're somewhere. Uh, and you think, I've been here before. Well, maybe, you know, maybe you, you, you have no memory of physically being in this place, but you have this kind of, you have this feeling because the memory, maybe the, the way the light is or the, the uh, mountain range or whatever, has this, brings up this memory of some past experience. So in the Buddha's teaching, it was like all conditions are dependent on other conditions. So, you know, long days and short nights and short nights and long days and uh, long nights and short days and on and on like this. This is, uh, you know, we have different memories of summertime, of wintertime, memories of being in in Thailand or in Portugal or Japan, or <laughs> but they're right now in this moment they are memories, memories of last year, memories of uh, ten years ago, twenty years ago. So when we chant the the five khandas are impermanent and not self, you think. You know, rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vinyana, as impermanent, anicca, and anatta. Now, anatta is 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 a very interesting one because it, it you know literally means non-self. And in Pali, the word for self for the ego sense of me and mine is atta. So anatta. Atta and anatta, not self, non-self. So when we chant, the the body is not self. The the uh, feelings are not self. The the perceptions are not self. The uh, sankharas are not self. The vinyana is not self. Consciousness is not self. What does that mean? Are we are we interpreting that through the ego, through the rational mind that's conditioned, or are we investigating? I, in my own experience with vipassana meditation, uh, because of the the conditioning of the mind, I, t- I would grasp a lot of the teachings in in a from uh, the way my mind is conditioned to think and interpret. Uh, Pali scriptures. So, then that we can say there's no self. Buddha taught that there's no self as a kind of doctrinal position, as a dogma. There's no self at all. And I've heard monks talk like this, as if, you know, total denial of self, there's no self. And, uh, and it, it is is coming from a kind of doctrinal position, a grasping of the idea of non-self. But in in the experience of the here and now, in uh, this present moment, there's the ego, and then there's the awareness. What is that? The awareness, consciousness, Awaken consciousness, mindfulness, wisdom is what well, you might call it pure subjectivity. Now, in the ignorant, unawakened human being always interprets experience through the self. This is happening to me, what I like, what I feel, what I don't like, my life, what I believe, what I don't believe. Uh, my memories, my past, my my um, 
education, my position, my age, my appearance, is all me and mine. So the the unawakened, unenlightened human being is experiences life through perceptions, through habits, through love and hate, through like and dislike, through fear, through d- desire, through greed, resentment, anger, jealousy. Now on this level, you know, we we the the ego or the atta in the Pali sense of atta is this, it's, it's this, this creation. To, for me to become a self, to become atta, I have to start thinking that I am this person, this body. Uh, and then the, then the values that come up, uh, uh, good, bad, right, wrong, all the rest come out of that basic assumption, unquestioned, unexamined, uninvestigated assumption. I am this person, this body. And then everything that I experience is through these perceptions. The logic, the reasoning, uh, the world that I live in comes through this unquestioned belief in that these conditions are mine. Well, the Buddha challenged that. That's that's all non-self. Anatta, in other words. Well, it's not a matter of believing in anatta, but it's a, I see it as an invitation, encouragement to investigate what is self and what is not self. So, in my own insights into this particular subject, is that the self is a creation. I create it. When there's mindfulness, when, when there's mindfulness, then there's consciousness. Is that self? Well, I can call it self, but then I'm, I'm not mindful anymore. You know, whenever I claim it and say I'm a very mindful monk and on and on like this, then that's not it. It's not kind of like, like I can claim mindfulness and consciousness as some kind of personal achievement or condition of any sort. So, but what I, what is possible is to, is to be aware of the sense of self-ownership, which always brings up other conditions of being how, you know, this dualistic thought structure of it's good, bad, right, wrong, male, female, superior, inferior, and on and on like that. The self is always dependent on other conditions and it always has about, it's about qualities, quantities. But non-self, consciousness, mindfulness, wisdom, this is non-self. It's not about superior or inferior anymore good, better, best, bad, worst, worst, it's like this. And so this, this practice, this, this the cultivating, in other words, the bhavana, cultivating mindfulness, awareness. This is the, the essence of the Buddha's teaching. This, uh, we all have this potential, this ability, natural ability, every one of us, has this ability. You know, it's not about what you think you are or any of your identities. It's, it's uh, the reality of this moment, awakening, awakening to the real. Which does not deny the conditioned realm. It's non-judgmental. So today is a is a Uposata day where the monastics reaffirm their precepts. So, and then, and then I just gave the eight precepts to the lay people living here. Now this is, this is the, this precept then is, is our commitment to doing good, refraining from doing bad. 
that are like moral precepts or re, uh, renunciate precepts like Wicca poaching and not eating uh, in the afternoon and evening. There's nothing immoral about eating food in the evening. No, it's not about, about morality, but it's, it's a, a choice we make, you know, to simplify our lives. It's a renunciate precept. Or the, the next one, the, uh, Nadjakito Atita, the long one about not, uh, singing, dancing, uh, playing games and, and uh, so forth. There's nothing immoral, you know, singing, dancing, there's a lot of fun in society. Dressing up, playing games, playing tennis, the Wimbledon tennis is beginning, you know, and all these things are, you know, even healthy, um, good things to be doing. But when we take the precepts, it's, a kind of, it's helping us to to simplify our lives because if our life is in, in a continuous, you know, uh, experience of playing games, watching TV, uh, you know, going out, having a good time, dancing, singing... Then we don't tend to waken. We tend to to get caught up into the into the excitement and the pleasure seeking of the worldly uh, condition. So renunciate precepts are not to they're not a kind of moralistic puritanical put down of excitement and romance and adventure and fun. But it's for those that see the value, want to use this restraint, not for identity, but for mindfulness. Because, you know, we can become really holier than thou kind of Puritans. You know, there's one of the problems with any religious commitment to religion is you can become, you know, uh, very pious and think you're vastly superior to somebody who who goes to the pub or watches television we can we can get on our high horse and think we're you know we're, we're more serious and slightly above that is the self and that's what we want to see uh, is impermanent and not self that what we think we are what we believe we are our values our kind of uh, dualistic ways of thinking that this is superior to that. That's not as good as. That applies to the conditioned realm only. The unconditioned or anatta then is this consciousness with awakened wisdom, mindfulness. And that's, that's not about, uh, me or you. It's not that I have more of it than you do, or, you know, if I start saying I am more mindful than you are, then you know that I'm not mindful. <laughs> or I'm wiser than you. You know, if I start claiming that I'm very wise because I've been a Buddhist monk for so many years, then I'm not mindful. I'm developing an ego out of my monastic, attaching to the monastic form. <clears throat> but seeing the, the suffering, the dukkha that comes through attachment out of ignorance, then we, we, once that really registers in consciousness, you, you know, the main, the determination is not to attach, is not to destroy, annihilate, Judge, but not, uh, but to cultivate this way of non-attachment, of awareness, awareness with consciousness and wisdom. Now the teachings that we use, the Four Noble Truths, are wisdom teachings. They're not wise in themselves, they're, they are conventions. But they're, they're very skillful conventions for, to help us to recognize what wisdom is, to be able to discern. We're so conditioned to see things in terms of reason and logic, right and wrong, 
good and bad. This is, this is, you know, in my own experience of meditation over these years, being brought up as a Christian in, uh, in uh, the early part of my life. It's very dualistic, my background is right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. And in this sense of if it's right, then it has to be true and, 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 and that I should attach to what's right and good and I should get rid of what is wrong and bad. Now there's a kind of logic there. That's reason and logic. And that which is aware of that is not logical. It's not about logic or being superior. It's, it's pure conscious awareness. It's the, either deathless, it's the amravati, the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed, anatta, nibbana, all these words, these enigmatic words in Pali Buddhism begin to, you know, they're no longer just abstract uh, enigmatic concepts, but they're real. The reality is, is now. It's a fact. It's recognized. It's not just believing in some kind of vague concept of the deathless, or in, you know, or or dis- dismissing it. There's you know, we can become easily, with that dualistic thinking pattern, it's either you go towards eternalism or annihilation. And in the, in the uh, first sermon of the Buddha, the Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta, he warns that right at the beginning of the Sutta. It's not, Gama Sukali Kanayoka is a, is a Pali word for the eternalist view. You know, where you can imagine any, a heaven where everything is perfect. Like if I'm good and, and obey uh, God's laws, then I'll go to heaven and live happily ever after uh, in uh, this realm of no pain and happiness, beauty, forever and ever and ever. Now there's a certain logic to that. And, and, and then the other, the opposite is annihilationism. There's no God, no self, uh, it's all just, you know, when you're dead, you're dead, there's nothing left, oblivion, eat, drink, dance, sing, have fun, or tomorrow you may die. Make merry while you're still alive because there's nothing. When you're dead, you're dead. Now, that tends towards annihilationism. Now, that, those annihilationism and eternalism are, are dualistic concepts. So one, you know, like the, the Christian background that I, that I had was very much, uh, eternalistic, you know, the eternalism. And then the, then I'm, by nature, I'm not an eternalist. I'm, I'm more of an annihilationist. I'm very skeptical. I have a skeptical nature. So it's hard for me to believe in eternalism, dying and going to heaven and living for eternity with God did not appeal to me one single bit. And it wasn't something that inspired me and made me want to, to do that. Where the idea of oblivion I've always quite liked. Once you're dead, you're dead and there's no more. You don't have to experience all this sensitivity and, and you know, bodies and all the aggravation and irritation of the sense realm. You know, I thought oblivion sounds really nice. But that also is a concept. Isn't that oblivion? I don't want to exist or I want to exist in a state of Beauty and happiness forevermore. And, and so, and this is where encouraging you to trust this awakened consciousness where both of these extremes, you can see them, are conditions, beliefs. They're based on ideas or ideals, concepts, 
doctrines that you get from somebody else. You know, for you know, so you you're taught your culture, your religion, your background will give you uh, these these kind of concepts. Brought up as an atheist or as a communist, brought up as a Buddhist, as a Jew, as a Christian, Muslim, or whatever. It's you know these are something you get after you're born. They're culturally conditioned. So putting that in the Silabata Baramasa category of the of the fetters, the Sakyaditi is the is the ego or the sense of a self personality. Silabata Baramasa I use as a category for cultural social conditioning, social assumptions, identities that we acquire that may not necessarily form a sense of self but are assumptions, maybe unquestioned assumptions that we use and interpret experience through these assumptions. So, uh, not that that the assumptions are wrong or right, but they are conditioned. And so the only way to get beyond that, to get outside the Sakya Ditti Silabhata Baramasa and then Wichikicha, the third fetter, is about doubt which is always a result of clinging to thinking. Those, those first three fetters are the big obstruction to bhavana, to seeing the path. So that's why over these past few years I've really kind of repeated this over and over again, encouraging you to investigate these these fetters, not intellectually, but, you know, use them for looking at, you know, what is, what is the ego or the sense of myself? And this is what I've done. What, you know, there's a sense that there's a pure subject and then there's a, then there's an ego. And I create this ego you know, it's, it's, uh, I use the pronouns me, mine, I am, and what I like and don't like. I create the world through, through thinking about it, through conceiving it, through, uh, through see, being attached to the sense of me as a separate uh, individual, me as a physical body, me as this person. But that takes thought, clinging to thought and memory, doesn't it, to, for you to be a personality. Now when, when there's mindfulness and wisdom, there is pure subject, you don't kind of uh, vanish and avoid. It's not annihilation, but, it's, but you, there's no sense of a self. If you begin to trust this, and, and cultivate this awareness, then you begin to have a, a sustained, or a, a self-sustaining awareness where you begin to see how you create yourself as a person, as a personality. You can get behind your own cultural biases and assumptions this way and get beyond the thinking process so you're no longer endlessly confusing yourself with your thinking, you know, being reasonable, logical, and all that, that that we use on the thinking level. Is this right or wrong, good or bad? So, you know, this, this sense of puto, wake up, an imperative. Wake up. So the Buddha, Buddha is the same. Wake up! <laughs> Somebody asked me, to def- what is the essence of Buddhism? What is the, can, you, can, you, uh, can you define Buddhism in a sentence? So I said, I can do it with one word. Wake up. <laughs> well, that's two words or... There's a hyphen between <laughs> wake, in other words. <clears throat> now that's like a, uh, an imperative, but it also 
seeing it as is not a kind of threatening, tyrannical command, but it's it's an invitation. You know, it's like like an, this is this this we're not victims of conditions like we might think we are when when we don't know any better. You hear you know all kinds of of people saying how you know they didn't get the chances or this or that they they didn't get uh, a good uh, hand when the cards were dealt and and uh, one can see all kinds of things where where you know one one's life uh, you didn't get the best or of the best and the, and all, all that that one can imagine so we can feel like victims of circumstance victims of of our family background of our education, of our lack of education, of our physical uh, disabilities and so forth. Not fair, is it? You know, not fair that some people are born with beauty and good health and, and lovely parents and wealth and happiness and others are born in poverty and sickness, uh, orphaned, unloved, unwanted, diseased, it's not fair. But that's the way it is, isn't it? It's, it's a, in this realm we're living in, it's not about fairness, but it's about recognizing that that condition phenomenon is like this. Now when you, when you really awaken, then the conditions are no longer, you know, our identity. So even if we have misfortune, bad health, and so well, that's, that's not an obstruction to awakened consciousness seen clearly, liberation from delusion. It needn't be. But then, you know, then people say, you mean you don't care about what happens to starving people? And the, I do, you know, I want, you know, I w- would... If I could, you know, if I were God and I could make everybody the same, you know, so that everybody, uh, the sick would be healthy, the, the diseased would get cured, we'd all be beautiful, charming, happy, uh, forever and ever. You know, I wouldn't, you know, I'm nothing against it. But <laughs> you know, that's not the way it is. This realm is like this. It's not fair. It's not really just, but it's like this. And then we contemplate nature and the, you know, the, the survival of the fittest, uh, law of the jungle. And as human beings, that's, that's the, the, the gift that we have with our humanity is that we can, uh, you know, agree on moral behavior. You know, so the precepts, you know, bana dibata, for example, is an agreement we make not to intentionally kill another human being. Now, sometimes we might have that impulse. You know, we want to kill somebody. But we, because of the first precept, we don't do it. I mean, this is, this is just, this, now if I was a, a cat, you know, notice the cats here. They see a bird and they go for it. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't tell them it's immoral because it doesn't apply. Morality doesn't apply to animal realm. It's our, it's our human ability to agree on behavior. You know, to refrain from violence and, and, um, stealing, lying and that. This, we can, is an co- agreement uh, on how we're going to live with each other, which is based on what we call morality or in monasticism on restraint. So the restraint is, is not an ascetic restraint, but a simplification. It really does simplify our lives. You know, the, the Vinaya. Makes it, you know, makes it much more, we don't have to endlessly 
kind of deal with the, with conditions externally because we're alms mendicants, celibate, so forth. Our lives are much more simple than say if we were uh, in family uh, life or or you know had to go out and make money and and do things uh, you know pay taxes and all that. As samanas, we're actually putting ourselves in this position of mendicancy, dependent on the kindness of others. Now that can be misunderstood in a country like this as we're just kind of freeloaders, kind of parasites. That's somehow what people say, you know, you're just a parasite. <clears throat> but also, it can one can be a parasite or one's intention. You know, what are we what are we here for? To take advantage of the lay people, to delude the society, or to be or to realize the truth. So so our aim is to is to awaken, to realize, to recognize the liberation. And you've got you got the excellent teaching, Four Noble Truths, the dependent origination. These things are brilliant, skillful means for in examining, investigating your own conscious experience. Because it's, it is a, a wisdom teaching. By wisdom, I mean... Uh, and, and this I, I like because sometimes we don't know the difference between wisdom and intelligence or reason and logic and wisdom. Where, do, where does wisdom come in? Well, wisdom in the Pali, uh, Panya, uh, the word Panya translated as wisdom into English, it's this ability to discern. And what are we discerning? With Bhutto Tamo, with this awareness Consciousness with awareness. It's not about we're, it's not about criticizing, say this is better than that or bigger or smaller. It is uh, discerning. Condition phenomena is like this. It's subtle or coarse, high or low, good or bad, right or wrong. All conditions are impermanent. They're unsatisfactory. They're not self. You're, discern, you're not grasping these words and, and just projecting uh, these, these ideas onto experience, but you're actually there for batibata or investigation. Can you find any permanent self, a sense, you know, uh, any memory, any, you know, can, anything in that you experience, conditions it go through your mind, emotions, that has any ability to sustain itself, but arises and ceases according to other conditions. Like when we have, you know, when the, the problem sometimes we have with insight practices is we have an insight. We have some real clear, clear insight and then we, we grasp the memories of it. So I remember the first year I was a samanera. I had a lot of insight. Second year I went to, to uh, stay with Ajahn Chah. And I wanted to have, you know, the, I had these memories of the insights I had the first year. So my practice was around trying to recreate the situations where I could have these memories again. You know, where I could make these memories, I could have them again, you know, as operating from the grasping of memory. And Ajahn Chah was able to point that out. I was grasping memories of insight. The insights were valid. But because they did create this desire to have, have because you remember, you f insight may be just a flash, maybe just, maybe not very long, but it has a powerful effect. And then the desire comes to have to hold it or to keep it or to, if you lose it, to try to get it back. So that's where uh, the second noble truth is this investigation of the desires. Three kinds of desires. 
You see, so so even in in insight, we you know they call it vipalasa or uh, sanya vipalasa, or you, we have you know we have we we can think that I'm an arahant. I I had such blissful insight that I thought I was an arahant, but it ta- didn't take me long to realize that I wasn't. But but it's like the way one can create a self and create the idea of an arahant, uh, create myself into a saint or something. You know, if I if I'm prone to toward uh, self-aggrandizement, which I'm not really, so it's never been particularly a big problem. My problem has been the skeptical mind, the critical mind, doubting, doubting mind. So that this this, uh, this this ability to awaken in the present moment, recognizing it, and really treasuring it, to make it, to, you know, to re- realize this is a great, this is something to really respect. It's not mine. Not uh, you know, but it's recognizable and and. And then one recognizes it and cultivates this way. So it's cultivation then is is the word bhavana. In that's the fourth noble truth, cultivating the eightfold path or through some right understanding. So then one's life, say as a samana, as a monk or nun, then is this bhavana, cultivating awareness with these conventions. So that, you know, the conventions then are not for personal identity, but for awareness. Simplification, letting go, relinquishing, not for attaining and achieving, but for simplification of life in this society, on this planet. Living in the society in a in a way that we're respecting the society we're living in. We're not trying to change it, uh, complain about it, uh, have a revolution, be divisive, cause more trouble. You know, so we're not here to, to, to convert or to, to cause friction or competition with other religions. But to, to uh, live in the society in a way that we're not exploiting it, taking advantage of it, taking it for granted, uh, or complaining and, and criticizing it. We, you know, it's good enough here. It, the society is tolerant. We have uh, we have can have a place like this without any great problems. And so then it's to to real to recognize. This ability, this Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this ability we have in this refuge of awareness, and then recognizing it, and then cultivating. So, some of you have insights already, and then then we do forget them. We get caught up in the in the problems of community life or uh, politics or economic problems or whatever, but this is where this constant referral back, like the where the mantra puto, is the one way that I've developed to keep reminding myself when I get caught up with the problems uh, of the world. Puto. I use sound of silence. Puto. And that puts me right back into this place of awareness and cult and and really using this as a constant reminder. Uh, No matter what happens, you know, that what happens is not that important anymore. You know, in terms of praise and blame and success and failure and the worldly dhammas.
Now, in the Buddha, after his enlightenment, uh, he thought nobody can understand this. This is, uh, you know, how do you, how do you teach mindfulness? How do you teach it? How do you, you know, so, you know, what can you say about it? It's not a, a thing that you can grasp. It's, it's a simple ability of, of awakening, recognizing. So you're not trying, when you think I'm trying to be mindful, that's not it. You don't try. You are. So, you know, you hear people say, I'm trying to be more mindful, and that's not it. Not, you don't try to be mindful, you are mindful. It's that simple. If I, somebody who's trying to be mindful, then I'm back into complications of somebody that's not mindful, should be mindful, trying my hardest to be more mindful, dedicating my life to mindfulness, 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 and I missed the point, isn't it? So this is this is where it's like a, an imminent, awakened recognition, and the, the sense of I'm not mindful and I should be. That is when you're mindful of that. That is a creation that you you you're attached to. I'm not mind. My mindfulness is slipping. I'm not very good at it. That is a creation. That you, that you can easily believe in and attach to. So trust yourself to just recognize that when you start thinking about yourself in any way as being, I'm very mindful or I'm not very mindful. That, beware that mindfulness of that sense of I am mindful or not. Or I should be. Or I'm not a very, I hear this a lot, I'm not a very good meditator. Or I can't meditate. And that this is, this is a Sakya Ditti. But you can be mindful of that. If you think you're, you, you know, you're not a very good meditator, trust yourself to be, that's a creation. I'm not a very good meditator. It's something you create in your mind. You've got some idea about what a good meditator is and, and you don't fit the bill. You're not... You know, you're not that good according to some ideal you have. That's Sakya Ditti. So, you know, it is what it is, but this is where it is a matter of, of imminent awakening, is this sense of it's being trusting yourself to just do this, to listen to the sense of yourself as being a good meditator, bad meditator. Is like this. That which is aware of the I'm a I'm not a very good meditator. That is that's it. Trust that. And and there's nothing you can grasp, but you can recognize. That's an awakened consciousness. So don't believe, you know, what other people say about you or or what you think about yourself, it's, uh, you know, you'll endlessly be caught up in being intimidated and anxious and, and, uh, and then you're criti- critical, you know, self-critical. Don't believe, I mean, it, it has, you know, on a worldly level, maybe it's true or something. But we're not coming, we're no longer, uh, you know, s- grasping the world as our reality. We're, we're transcending that, not by rejecting the world, but knowing the world. And that's what, like one of the epithets for the Buddha is knower of the world. And we don't become Buddhas. But we, we are this, this refuge, this inputo. It's, it's not about me as a person, because it's, it's, it has no personality. It's pure intelligence, consciousness. It's, and it's our ability to discern the, the death and the deathless. To discern grasping is like this. Grasping conditions. 
non-grasping is like this. You can discern. Now this is panya, wisdom. And in this realm that we're experiencing, this is, this is what we can do. This is what we're stuck with, whether you like it or not. We've got to live with, it, with these conditions, you know, whatever they might be. And, and then the, the thing is to learn, you know, to, to discern the condition from the unconditioned. So the unconditioned is the, rea- is the real. And the conditions are, in the moment, they are what they are. They're like this. Happiness is like this, unhappiness is like this, and so forth. So it's, it's not a matter of, of trying to find happiness or hold on to it, but recognizing the, that happiness is a condition that depends on other conditions. So I offer this for your reflection.